The steward murmured something at his elbow. By reflex, he handed the posy to the man and flicked a hand in dismissal. No, I shan't dine yet. Colonel Quarry will be joining me. Very good, my lord. Trevelyan had rejoined his companions at a table across the room, his narrow face flushed with laughter at some jest by Pitt. Gray couldn't stand there glowering at the man. He hesitated unsure whether to go across to the smoking-room to wait for Quarry, or perhaps down the hall to the library. In the event, though, he was prevented by the sudden entry of Malcolm Stubbs, lieutenant of his own regiment, who hailed him with pleased surprise. "'Major Gray, what brings you here, eh? Thought you was quite the fixture at White's. Got tired of the politicals, have you?' Stubbs was aptly named, no taller than Gray himself, but roughly twice as wide, with a broad cherubic face, wide blue eyes, and a breezy manner that endeared him to his troops, if not always to his senior officers. Hello, Stubbs. Gray smiled, despite his inner disquiet. Stubbs was a casual friend, though their paths seldom crossed outside of regimental business. No, you confuse me with my brother Hal. I leave the whiggery pokery up to him. Stubbs went pink in the face and made small snorting noises. Wiggery pokery, oh, that's ripe, Gray, very ripe. Must remember to tell it to the old one. The old one was Stubbs's father, a minor baronet with distinct Whiggish leanings, and likely a familiar of both White's Club and Lord John's brother. So, you a member here, Gray, or a guest like me? Stubbs, recovering from his attack of mirth, waved a hand round the spacious confines of the white-napped dining-room, casting an admiring glance at the impressive array of decanters being arranged by the steward at a sideboard. Member. Trevelyan was nodding cordially to the Duke of Gloucester, who returned the salutation. Christ, Trevelyan really did know everyone. With a small effort, Gray returned his attention to Stubbs. My godfather enrolled me for the beefsteak at my birth. Starting at the age of seven, which is when he assumed reason began, he brought me here every Wednesday for luncheon. Got out of the habit while abroad, of course, but I find myself coming back whenever I'm in town. The wine steward was leaning down to offer Trevelyan a decanter of port. Gray recognized the embossed gold tag at its neck. San Isidro, a hundred guineas, the cask. Rich, well-connected and infected. Damn! What was he going to do about this? Your host not here yet? He touched Stubbs's elbow, turning him toward the door. Come then, let's have a quick one in the library. They strolled down the pleasantly shabby carpet that lined the hall, chatting inconsequently. Why the fancy dress? Gray asked, casually flicking at the braid on Stubbs's shoulder. The beefsteak wasn't a soldier's haunt. Though a few officers of the regiment were members, they seldom wore full-dress uniform here, save when on their way to some official business. Gray himself was only uniformed because he was meeting Quarry, who never wore anything else in public. "'Got to do a widow's walk later,' Stubbs replied, looking resigned. "'No time to go back for a change.' "'Oh, who's dead?' A widow's walk was an official visit paid to the family of a recently deceased member of the regiment to offer condolences and make inquiry as to the widow's welfare. In the case of an enlisted man, such a visit might include the handing over of a small amount of cash contributed by the man's intimates and immediate superiors, with luck enough to bury him decently. Timothy O'Connell. 
Really? What happened? O'Connell was a middle-aged Irishman, surly but competent, a lifelong soldier who had risen to sergeant by dint of his ability to terrify subordinates, an ability Gray had envied as a seventeen-year-old subaltern and still respected ten years later. Killed in a street brawl night before last. Gray's brows went up at that. Must have been set on by a mob, he said, or taken by surprise. I'd have given long odds on O'Connell in a fight that was even halfway fair. Didn't hear any details. I meant to ask the widow. Taking a seat in one of the beefsteak's ancient but comfortable library wing chairs, Gray beckoned to one of the servants. Brandy. You two, Stubbs? Yes, two brandies, if you please. And tell someone to fetch me when Colonel Quarry comes in, will you? Thanks, old fellow. Come round to my club and have one on me next time. Stubbs unbuckled his dress sword and handed it to the hovering servant before making himself comfortable in turn. Met your cousin the other day, by the by, he remarked, wriggling his substantial buttocks deeply into the chair. Out riding in the row, handsome girl, nice seat, he added judiciously. Indeed, which cousin would that be? Gray asked with a small sinking feeling. He had several female cousins, but only two whom Stubbs might conceivably admire, and the way this day was going. The Pearsall girl, Stubbs said cheerfully, confirming Gray's presentiment. Olivia, that the name? I say, isn't she engaged to that chap Trevelyan? Thought I saw him just now in the dining room. You did, Gray said shortly, not anxious to speak about the Honourable Joseph at the moment. Once started on a conversational gambit, though, Stubbs was as difficult to deflect from his course as a twenty-pounder on a downhill slope, and Gray was obliged to hear a great deal regarding Trevelyan's activities and social prominence, things of which he was only too well aware. Any news from India? he asked finally in desperation. This gambit worked. Most of London was aware that Robert Clive was snapping at the nawab of Bengal's heels, but Stubbs had a brother in the 46th foot, presently besieging Calcutta with Clive, and was thus in a position to share any number of grisly details that had not yet made the pages of the newspaper. So many British prisoners packed into the space, my brother said, that when they dropped from the heat there was no place to put the bodies. Those left alive were obliged to trample on the fallen underfoot. He said, Stubbs looked round, lowering his voice slightly, some poor chaps had gone mad from the thirst, drank the blood. When one of the fellows died, I mean, they'd slit the throat, the wrist, drain the body, then let it fall. Bryce said they could scarce put a name to half the dead when they pulled them out of that place, and— Think we're bound there, too, Gray interrupted, draining his glass and beckoning for another pair of drinks in the faint hope of preserving some vestige of his appetite for luncheon. Dunno, maybe— Though I heard a bit of gossip last week, sounded rather as though it might be the Americas. Stubbs shook his head, frowning. Can't say there's much to choose between a Hindu and a Mohawk, howling brutes the lot, but there's the hell of a lot better chance of distinguishing oneself in India, you ask me. If you survive the heat, the insects, the poisonous serpents, and the dysentery, yes, Gray said. He closed his eyes in momentary bliss, savouring the balmy touch of English June that drifted through the open window. Speculation was rampant and rumours rife as to the regiment's next posting. France, India, the American colonies, perhaps one of the German states, 
Prague on the Russian front, or even the West Indies. Great Britain was battling France for supremacy on three continents, and life was good for a soldier. They passed an amiable quarter-hour in such idle conjectures, during which Gray's mind was free to return to the difficulties posed by his inconvenient discovery. In the normal course of things, Trevelyan would be Hal's problem to deal with, but his elder brother was abroad at the moment, in France and unreachable, which left Gray as the man on the spot. The marriage between Trevelyan and Olivia Pearsall was set to take place in six weeks' time. Something would have to be done, and done quickly. Perhaps he had better consult Paul or Edgar, but neither of his half-brothers moved in society. Paul rusticated on his estate in Sussex, barely moving foot as far as the nearest market town. As for Edgar, no, Edgar would not be helpful. His notion of dealing discreetly with the matter would be to horsewhip Trevelyan on the steps of Westminster. The appearance of a steward at the door announcing the arrival of Colonel Quarry put a temporary end to his distractions. Rising, he touched Stubbs's shoulder. Fetch me after dinner, will you? he said. I'll come along on your widow's walk, if you like. O'Connell was a good soldier. Oh, will you? That's sporting, Gray, thanks. Stubbs looked grateful. Offering condolences to the bereaved was not his strong suit. Trevelyan had fortunately concluded his meal and departed. The stewards were sweeping crumbs off the vacant table as Gray entered the dining room. Just as well. It would have curdled his stomach if he were obliged to look at the man while eating. He greeted Harry Quarry cordially, and forced himself to make conversation over the soup course, though his mind was still preoccupied. Ought he to seek Harry's counsel in the matter?